morning. Welcome to church. It's so good to have you guys. I guess I should say welcome church instead of welcome to church. We've been learning about church in our small group. Apparently I'm using that word incorrectly. Welcome church. You can stand with us. We're going to worship this morning. Just going to open us in prayer. God, thank you so much for this day. We're so grateful for your many blessings. Even in the hard things, we know that you're with us, and we're so grateful. So we come here this morning in humility, recognizing our own weaknesses, God, and just asking you to meet us here, that we may worship you, that we may be filled with your spirit again, just refreshed in your presence, God. Lord, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would come and fill this place that you would move in our hearts as we worship, as we hear the word of God preached, as we pray. God, even as we drink our coffee and visit, Lord, that your spirit would be moving, that you would have your way in this place, because we're here for you. And if we're not here for you, then why are we here? So God, I just ask that you would have your way and do what you want to do. All agendas aside, Lord, we're here just for you. So we want to lift you up, God. Please stir in our hearts the meanings of the words that we're singing, that they wouldn't just be songs. They wouldn't just be things that we do, the rhythms that we do, God, but that we would be moved, that we would be engaged. Lord, we need your help because it's hard for us sometimes. Sometimes it's been a long week. Sometimes we've been through a lot of stuff, and we've processed a ton of information. And there's a ton more that we haven't yet processed so I just ask, Lord, that you would help us to set those things aside so that we can just fully engage with your spirit this morning because that's what we need and that's what you've called us to do. So we just thank you, God, for this opportunity and we're ready, Lord. Do what you will. Amen. Let's do it. We're going to worship him this morning. Oh, 
that song you're wrong I didn't must have been in my subconscious because I've sang it so much I was singing it and like whoa crazy also if you guys are worried that I'm gonna smack Rick I'm also feeling that so just <laughs> watch out Rick I'm so sorry if I do because I'm like seeing him in my peripheral and I'm like oh gosh they need to like put a little box down here with some tape this is your box Nikki don't step outside the box so I'm dangerous up here yeah, I hope so. You got reflexes, right? Okay. All right, let's sing this. I'm going to read this call to worship. I'm not going to sing it. That'd be cool, but I'm not going to. Psalm 150, verses 1 through 6. It says, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heaven. Praise him for his mighty works. Praise his unequaled greatness. Praise him with a blast of the ram's horn. Praise him with the lyre and the harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and flutes. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with loud clanging cymbals. I'm waiting for you, Bo. Cymbals. Let everything that has breath sing praises to the Lord. Together, let's say, praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. That's what we're going to do.
mistakes What looks to me like weakness Is a canvas for your strength And my story isn't over My story's just begun Failure won't define me Cause that's what my father does Failure won't define me Cause that's what my father does shame at the door cause it ain't welcome anymore Ooh, you're in the father's house hear these words cause they're so true arrival's not the end game the journey's where you are
Amen. You may be seated this morning, but I urge you to stay, remain in this attitude of worship as we acknowledge these profound truths about our God. I just invite you to remain in the thick of his presence this morning, dwelling in these truths that we believe and sometimes cling desperately to, right? So would you guys pray with me? Join me in prayer this morning. Come before the Lord. Open hearts, fully surrendered to our God who longs to meet us here and encourage us this morning. Holy, unchanging, unshakable God. We stand or kneel or sit before your presence this morning. And God, we just take a moment to rest in these truths. God, so many of your so many of your characteristics we have reminded ourselves of in these songs this morning. You are an unchanging, unshakable God who stands firm in the midst of an ever-changing world. God, we thank you that you are our rock. You are my rock God, when things are hard, when things are difficult, when I feel anxious or scared or overwhelmed, God, you are my rock and you don't change. And I thank you, God, that I can rest in that truth today. God, we thank you for these reminders that you are Father. And for some of us, that imagery is hard. There are some of us here who when we think of Father, it is not good thoughts that come to our mind. But God, in the truest sense, in the truest sense, you are our loving Father who longs for us to be close to you. And God, as we will read in just a moment, God, you look for us you wait for us. You long for us to return when we've gone away. And God, there's nothing you won't do to chase us, to seek us, to find us, and most importantly, to let us know that we are loved. No matter what we've done, despite where we've been or where we come from, God, you want us to rest in the truth this morning that we are loved. We are loved and there's nothing we can do about it. There's nothing we can do to change your love for us. God, we thank you for the reminder this morning that you are a light in the darkness. And God, we know this world is full of darkness. We know, God, that we are in the tension of 
the already and the not yet. Your kingdom has already begun and it is bursting forth. It is coming up all around us, but we are also waiting. We are waiting and longing, God, for you to make all things right and all things new. And so, God, we are aware that we are surrounded by darkness. But God, you are the light that never fades. You are the light that never disappears. You are the light that never ceases to shine. And God, we look for that light in the midst of the darkness today. God, especially on this day, Lord, we think of the significance of this day as we remember those tragic events that took place 21 years ago. God, we are reminded this morning, it never leaves. We are reminded of of just the shock and the horror of that day. God, we, we are aware that that shock and that horror is now placed with an emptiness for many people. There's a longing for those lives who were lost. God, we remember this morning those who lost their lives and their families. We think of those in New York this morning. We think of those in Washington, D.C. this morning, and we think of those in Pennsylvania this morning. God, we are reminded. We are overwhelmed and and grateful as we are reminded of those who demonstrated the greatest love of all, laying their lives down for others, both friends and strangers. God, we come remembering this morning and we come in hope not in ourselves, not in this world, not in the structures of this world, the people of this world, the leaders of this world, but only in you. God, as we remember this tragic day, we give thanks for your presence that never fails in our time of need. And God, this morning we open ourselves up fully to you, and to your guiding and your teaching and to your word. And this morning we gather here seeking to worship you in spirit and in truth, you who guide us today and every day. We love you, Lord, and we pray all of this in the name of King Jesus who reigns. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, if you want to open up your Bibles or your Bible apps, we are going to be in Luke chapter 15. We are continuing in this series through the Gospel of Luke, where we are just walking through beginning to end, and we are kind of pausing and and noticing uh, those moments with Jesus and those around him, and we are just seeking to learn. As followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, we are, are seeking to learn from him who we follow. Right? And the goal, what we're, what we're seeking, what we're after is, is that our lives would truly reflect that of Christ. That we would 
intentionally remind ourselves of who Jesus is, not who others say he is, not even who I say he is, but as you're face to face with this word, with his word, you are reminded of who he is and what he does and how he lives and how he loves. And the goal, what we're seeking, is that we would live in that way. That we would look at Jesus and say, this is who he is, and now here's how I respond. Here's how we live in response. This morning, as I said, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. A lot of you might be very familiar with Luke chapter 15. If you're not, here's what you need to know about the majority of Luke chapter 15. It is a chapter about that which is lost being found. It's a a beautiful chapter that starts off a little rocky, a little shaky. You know, we just keep finding ourselves back in the Pharisees' circle and in their minds and in their conversations. And I'm going to, may say this again later, but just know, like, I'm never seeking to, you know, throw the Pharisees under the bus and make them out to sound like horrible people. We just notice what is there in the gospel. We notice what Luke noticed, and we are just listening and opening ourselves up to the teachings of Jesus as he responds often to the Pharisees. It is what it is. And so this chapter begins, the very beginning we read, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And that is a heavy statement because there is anger and there is frustration there. And so what we read, what we're about to read in Luke chapter 15 is Jesus' response, right? Jesus is well aware at this point of the Pharisees' heart and and what is wrong in their hearts and in their lives. And so what we're about to read is a response to this very sentiment that we just read from the Pharisees. And so he goes on to communicate a few different ways in order to teach just how serious God is about his people about those who are lost being found, and just how much love he has for all, for all. And so he starts off by talking about this. He tells this story, and he says, imagine that you had a hundred sheep. This is a, a very culturally appropriate image for those who are listening, right? Imagine, Jesus says, that you had a hundred sheep and one goes missing. It wanders off. Sheep do that sometimes, They're prone to wander. And so imagine that one wanders. Will the shepherd not leave the 99 and go look for that sheep who wandered? It's an important sheep. It's part of the fold. Won't he go and look for that sheep? And then when he finds the sheep, will he not rejoice? Will he not be glad that he found the sheep and brought it back to the fold? And then he goes on and he tells another story. This time about a woman who loses one of 10 coins. A little different, but, but imagine, he says, imagine a woman who has 10 coins, but she's lost one. And I received from that that losing one of these coins is a big deal. It's not like losing a quarter or a dime, right? I think this is a big deal. This is a significant amount of money that she's lost. Imagine that you lost a significant amount of money and then you found it. Like, you know that good feeling when you find a $5 bill in your pocket? Like a five is even exciting. A 20 is like, what? It's, I've 
I've struck gold this morning unexpectedly. But imagine if you find that significant amount of money, will you not rejoice? Will you not call your neighbors and your friends and say, guess what, I found it. I found that check, praise God. And so Jesus is saying, right, that's, that's what we're talking about here. When something that was important and meaningful was lost but is found, are you not overjoyed and excited? But then he goes on, and he goes on to tell a story about a lost son. And if the other two didn't hit home for them or for us, this one in some way will. It says, imagine how much more valuable would a lost son be over a sheep or a coin? And so, friends, I'm going to invite you, if you are able and comfortable to stand this morning, I'm going to invite you to stand as we read the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 15. It's a little longer than what we typically read. I want you to really try to imagine this scene unfolding. If you have to close your eyes this morning, that is okay, but I really want you to situate yourself in this story because I'm not going to be able to go back through again later and like point out every little detail that I'm going to read now. I won't read it all again, but I really want you to imagine this, okay? Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out. And I will go back to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. 
Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and I never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I don't know what happened there, Jim, but let me know if I need to do something different. (laughs) Just wave at me frantically until I notice you. Well, um, I said this a few weeks ago. It's been probably several, several weeks ago at this point, but when we were looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan, I believe I pointed out to us that that was such a well-known parable, so much so that when you are in conversation with somebody, whether they're a Christian or not, when you talk about the Good Samaritan or a Good Samaritan or a story of a Good Samaritan, People know what you're talking about. They don't even have to be super familiar with the Bible to know what Good Samaritan means, right? That's a well-known phrase. And so I would say that similarly, this is also a very well-known parable. When you say prodigal or prodigal son, people know what you are referring to. They may not even be super familiar with this actual story that Jesus tells, but they know what prodigal means and they have a particular image in mind when they hear maybe the phrase of a prodigal son. I can't even begin to scratch the surface this morning, but I learned so many things this week. I learned about so many things that were inspired by this parable, whether intentional or not, whether it came directly from Luke chapter 15 or not. I learned about so many things that are inspired by this parable. There are so many movies, like popular, well-known movies that I've heard of, but I never really knew that they were kind of meant to to, um, depict this parable. There are, of course, a number of songs, which I have heard, probably more than I haven't heard. There's quite a bit of literature. There's a ballet. Did you know that there is a ballet that is inspired by the prodigal son? There's paintings, which that might be a pretty well-known image, as I'm going to share with you this image. This is a painting by well-known artist, uh, painter Rembrandt, and this is his depiction, and it's titled The Return of the Prodigal Son. It's a beautiful image. Probably, I would imagine that you won't be able to see every detail that is meant to be seen on that screen. And so if you haven't like looked at this close up, you could even pull it up on your phone. I encourage you at some point, whether now or later, to really look at the details of this painting if you've never taken the time before. 
because there are some really interesting details in Rembrandt. I, I've, I've heard of other pastors and theologians describe the details that he captures that are just amazing. And like so much so that it teaches scholars and theologians more about the parable than maybe what they even caught at first. It's truly inspiring. And so I also learned this week that well-known Dutch priest, thinker, and writer Henry Nouwen When he saw this painting, he was completely struck and in awe. And this painting inspired him so much that he went and wrote a book about this painting called The Return of the Prodigal Son. And it was completely and 100% inspired by this painting. I'm going to tell you more about that later. It's good stuff that that you're going to really, I think, appreciate. And I'll come back to that later. But this morning we're, we're recognizing, and I really recognize this week, like this parable reaches a lot of people, whether they're reading it from Luke 15 or not. This story, this parable reaches a lot of people, and it might leave us wondering this morning. Maybe we're curious this morning, wondering why does this parable strike so deeply for so many people? I was reading a book by Professor Joseph Bentz this week, and he talks about this very thing, and it really resonated with me. He points out that Jesus' story hits home for a lot of people because it it highlights so many different dynamics that we can relate to, right? You've got the the most well-known, which is this parent-child relationship, and maybe that doesn't reach all of us this morning, but many of us Right, right off the bat, we understand the tension or the dynamics of this parent-child relationship. It highlights a sibling relationship, a complicated sibling relationship. Many of us can relate to that this morning. This parable, this passage, and even this painting causes us to, to stop and think about our identity. We think about personal freedom. We think about the consequences of sin. We think about, we cannot help but be faced with forgiveness, maybe even a radical or some might say reckless forgiveness. We're struck with images of unconditional love. Some might even say a reckless love. We are facing themes of jealousy, but it also highlights themes of salvation and second chances, right? That's, that's just a few thoughts. It might bring up many more, but this parable probably strikes, strikes deeply for a lot of people because it touches on so many different things and on so many different levels. And I would guess that you this morning already have, even if this is the first time you've ever heard this parable, I would guess that you can all relate to this parable in one way or another, Maybe we wouldn't all relate in the same exact way, but I would be willing to guess that that you can all relate in some way with this story, with this parable. That's the amazing things about stories, right? We relate to them. It hits home. Maybe at one point, some of you identified with being the lost son. Maybe you think back to a time in your life. Now, to be clear, we've all been the lost son at one point or another. But I mean, maybe some of you were in the father's fold. You were in the father's care and you wandered away from that. 
You, you took some time and you went away from that for whatever reason you wandered, right? You were there and then you wandered. Many of you maybe can relate or identify with that feeling or that character this morning. I would guess that a lot of us, a lot of us are challenged to think about the lost sons in our own lives, the lost sons and daughters who are wandering at this very moment and we wish they would come home, right? Like this son, maybe you identify that they are, are pretty self-focused, right? That they only care about themselves and they're not considering anyone else. And that might sound really harsh. And I don't mean it to sound really harsh because again, we're gonna touch on this later. We are all prone to selfishness, right? We all understand selfishness. We are selfish people sometimes by nature, some would say. But, but your lost son, if you will, we notice that there's this, there's this care for no one but themselves, right? Like this son said to his father, essentially what he said to his father is, I wish you would hurry up and die so I can receive what I want to receive. But since you're not dead, could you just go ahead and give me my inheritance now? Like that's essentially what's happening here. And so, so when he receives his inheritance, because it was land at this point, in this time, it was land what is what he received. He goes and sells that, and he shames his family in doing so. This would have been a shameful thing in this culture, right? This would have been humiliating for the father and for the family that this son not only has the audacity to ask for his inheritance now, wishing that his father was dead, but he sells the land and he leaves. He abandons his family, which again, in this culture, was a big deal. We don't shame people for moving away from their family today, which is good because then I would be prone to shame, being shamed all the time. But in this culture, this was a shameful thing for him to do on top of everything else that he had already done. And at one point, at one point, you know, we just imagine this moment. This is so, this is one of those stories that it's not hard to imagine. You can picture it so easily. At one point, the son who has only cared about himself, who has given up everything, all that was good to pursue the riches and the experiences of the world, right? The, the pleasures that he himself wanted to experience. At one point, he is surrounded by pigs. And while that to many of us might just be, ew, gross, right? <laughs> But for him, that's another component of shame because we understand that this man was likely Jewish, even though he is a made-up character. But Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience, a Jewish culture. And so then we are led to believe that this man in this story was probably Jewish. And yet here he is, surrounded by pigs, which is something that was, that was not the norm for Jews. They were not allowed to even be around pigs, let alone in their pen near their slop. It might not seem like a big deal to us, but this son has wandered far away. And so many of you might know and love someone who hasn't done these exact things, but has wandered away. They're lost. Maybe they're lost because they're just looking for more. They are looking to be filled by all the wrong things. They are looking for fulfillment 
in the riches of the world, the pleasures of this world, right? They want to experience something, something different, something more. They want to know what the world has to offer. They are completely open and fascinated by the beauty of the world, but only to be let down because that's what happens, right? Even if it hasn't happened yet, that's what happens. And at one point in the story, this son, he hits rock bottom. In case you didn't notice that on your own, like we should just go ahead and say it. At one point, he hits rock bottom. Like when you're in the pig pen, longing for the life of a pig, you have hit rock bottom. That's maybe we would say the rockiest bottom of rock bottom. And maybe you know someone Maybe you've been there yourself, you've hit rock bottom, but maybe at at this point you're thinking of that loved one, that lost one who has hit or is hitting rock bottom. There's nothing left. No one left. Everyone's gone. Everything is gone. And next thing you know, you're sitting there surrounded by pigs, and that's all you have. And I love... How in this moment, I love how the son in this moment thinks of his father. Like he's hit the lowest of lows. And in this moment, it's his father's love that comes to mind. When he's thinking about how everyone else is gone, whoever else was involved in this life that he was currently living, they're all gone. They've all left him. They've abandoned him. His money is gone. He has nothing left. And in that moment, he thinks and recalls the love of his father. We might even say the reckless love of his father. Because one thing I thought was interesting, scholars pointed out, like, why is there no indication that the father resisted this, right? Or pushed back against this or said, no, like, how about no, you will not receive your inheritance. There's no mention of that. And so what was the father even thinking Why didn't he say, right? And so we imagine that this, we could almost say that the father's love for his son was a little bit reckless, maybe. And yet that's the love that the son thinks of in this moment. N.T. Wright said it like this. He said, there's a mystery before the son ever even leaves the home. There's already such a mystery with the love of the father. And that's the kind of love that the son thinks of in this moment when he has nothing left. And so he thinks, maybe, just maybe, like I can imagine that in this moment, he's like, I know, I know that I certainly don't deserve to go back home and be embraced as a son again. I know that is gone. That ship has sailed, but maybe, just maybe, I'm so desperate. I'm so lonely. I'm so hungry in every way possible that maybe I can go home and my father will at least welcome me back as a hired servant. I don't even deserve that, but maybe, just maybe. I mean, this is truly rock bottom. Imagine for a moment. Imagine that now you're faced with the shame that you've caused. You're faced with the shame that you feel. Like no one needs to point out the shame to you at this point. There's no one but the pigs. And I guess the pigs just being is shameful at this point. But imagine that there is no one to point out your shame. And yet you are well aware of the shame that you feel and the shame that you've caused. And you know you've embarrassed your family. 
You've completely shamed your family. You've embarrassed yourself. And now you're going to go home and you're going to ask, can I just be received back as a hired servant? That's rock bottom. And as I was thinking about it this week, this is the point in the story where there's like, you know, if this were a play, there would be some, some tension here, some wondering, like, what's going to happen? And as I was really thinking about that this week, I was thinking about verse 15 and how verse 15 is the perfect place for a Paul line. And if you don't know what I mean by that, I'm talking about the Apostle Paul. And there are so many times where he says something that essentially means, here's this horrible thing that has happened and here's what we deserve, but God. And sometimes he doesn't even use those two words back to back, but essentially what he's saying is, here's this horrible thing, here's us in this horrible place, but God. And this is the point. I imagine the son, he's walking back home. He's making that long journey back home. And all he's thinking about, he's not, he doesn't have his AirPods in. He's not listening to something or watching something as he's journeying. He's walking home with his shame and his guilt, knowing what he's done and what he's caused and what he's messed up in his life. And that's all he can think about. And he's walking that long road home. And all I can think about is Ephesians 2. When Paul says, as for you, as for me, you were dead in your transgressions and in your sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, okay? Gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But God. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. How appropriately demonstrated is that love that Paul talks about in this passage when a father, a dignified father who has already been shamed, who probably walks out of his house and is surrounded by a community who is saying, oh, there he is again. Look, oh, poor, poor him, bless his heart. Oh, bless his heart. Did you hear about his son? Oh, bless his heart. That's what we would say in Arkansas anyways. <laughs> bless his heart. Seriously, he walks out. Shame and guilt, but also hope. As every day I picture him walking out, looking and waiting for his son to come and wait. What? Is that him? Could it possibly be him? And how appropriately demonstrated is Paul's love of God in this moment when you imagine this dignified father who, and I'm not trying to be funny, would literally lift up his tunic in this moment and run toward his son, which you would never see happen in your life at this time. And this is the heart of the gospel that is seen so beautifully in the father's response culminating in verse 24 when he says, for this son of mine was dead, but he's alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. 
Don't ever underestimate the power of a but God moment. And so as heartwarming and as beautiful as this moment is, like all the the pretty, calm, beautiful music is playing, like the most heartwarming music that makes you bawl your eyes out, we're still left with attention because there's still a lost son. There's still a lost son lingering in the background of the story. You caught that, right? You caught that, right? That there's still a son who is lost. In fact, if you were to be looking at this painting up close, way back in the corner, up towards the left-hand corner of the picture, it's so hard to see on this screen, but you would see the shadows of a face. And that is the other lost son. See, rather than rejoicing about his lost brother returning, he's angry. He is truly angry. We even read that he says, this isn't right. I followed all the rules. I did everything you asked me to do. I probably even did more than what you asked me to do. I even added rules to the rules to make sure that I was living exactly as I was supposed to live. I served you and I was faithful to you. And what do I get? You receive my brother who has failed you, shamed you, hurt you, abandoned you, and he gets this? I said it earlier, the Pharisees, they've been receiving a lot of criticism. But what you need to know this morning is that Jesus is speaking of them. In this moment, Jesus is speaking of them. They are the older, angry brother. They are the lost son who is lingering in the background of this beautiful, heartwarming moment. Can we acknowledge for just a moment, like I know that we're prone to say, I'm so glad I'm not like the Pharisees most of the time, but can we just acknowledge for a moment that we as human beings, we often or sometimes struggle with this idea that we've worked really hard to earn something, And when someone who hasn't done any work and has only squandered things away with wild and reckless living, if they get something that we seemingly don't, aren't we going to feel a little bitter? Aren't we going to feel a little frustrated? And even if it doesn't come out as blatant anger, deep down inside, aren't we prone to those thoughts and feelings of, well, that's just not right. They didn't do anything to receive that. That is just not right. And friends, That's grace. That's grace. That's the grace of God. And that ought to be the grace of God's people. And this moment was impossibly hard for the older son to wrap his mind around. And yet the father, just as the father was waiting for the younger son to come home, he's now looking for his older son. Where is he? He's not here. I'm going to go find him And he goes and finds his other lost son who seems completely separated from this community. And he says, my son, don't you know that everything I have is yours? I've given you everything. I've given my life for you. And I imagine Jesus saying that to the Pharisees as God in the flesh. God is saying to Israel, I gave everything for you. Everything I have is yours. You're my people and I'm your God. We are in a covenant relationship and I've always been faithful to you, more faithful than you even deserve or know. 
don't you know that everything I have is yours? The Pharisees were lost, just like this older son. They were lost, not in their minds. They didn't see their lostness. They didn't recognize it. But what you need to know is that just as a life of frivolous living leaves you empty and unfulfilled, which, by the way, it will, so does that of of rigid legalism and judgment, which makes our hearts bitter and resentful and completely closed off to the grace that we so desperately need. Are you with me? Friends, filling our mind with truth and doctrine, that's a good thing. And I'm a fan. It's my job to remind us of the truth and the doctrine and and point us back to the truth. But friends, filling our mind with, with truth and doctrine and rules and legalism, that's not the same as coming to the Father with hearts fully surrendered and our awareness of our need, our desperate need for his grace. Because what God's embrace and grace gives to us, the rules and the legalism and all the things, they can't do what God's love can do. My favorite part of this week as I was reading and studying, I'm going to come back to Henry Nouwen's inspiration and his book. And I just, I loved how, how he considered so many, he, he, he received so many profound truths from this painting. And I think there's one that we should consider today. So Henry is speaking, speaking for himself as he has been looking at this painting. He writes this. He said, I suddenly saw myself in a completely new way. I saw my jealousy, my anger, my touchiness, my doggedness, my sullenness, and most of all, my subtle self-righteousness. He said, for a long time, it became impossible to see how I could have ever thought of myself as the younger son. But I was the older son for sure. Somehow, he says, I saw this as my personal painting. The painting that contained not only the heart of the story that God wants to tell me, but also the heart of the story that I want to tell God and God's people. He says, all of the gospel is there. All of my life is there. He says the painting has become a mysterious window through which I can step into the kingdom of God. I wonder if that resonates with some of us this morning who maybe you don't identify with the lost son and and maybe you don't even have a lost son in your life right now, but one thing you knew for sure, I am not the lost son. Right? Like, I am not the younger son, and I think we all know that. But could we open ourselves up to the truth that maybe we might not be that lost son? Maybe we are. Maybe we were. But then that might mean that we're this lost son, the one that's lurking in the shadows and in the background, resentful, prideful, closed off to to God's reckless and radical grace that never fails to meet us when we need it most. 
Friends, I think this challenges us to examine our own hearts and acknowledge our lostness at times. Because we're all prone, like the Pharisees, we wander. We wander or we get caught up in in the rules and the legalism and I'm doing all the things. But we need to understand that it's not just the lost sinners that are being invited to come home in this moment, right? Like we're not all there saying, oh, I hope they come home. We are, but that's not all this is. Like this is not just about them, us and them, because we do that, you know? This is not just about us waiting for them to come home, but it's about acknowledging that we are all being invited to come home. You are being invited to come home this morning. Henry Nouwen, he talks about when he says you are home, it's when you acknowledge that you are loved by the Father. Listen, regardless of your ability to stray and stumble, you are loved by God. And you're invited to come home this morning and receive that love. I'll end with with this quote one more time of Henry Nouwen. He says, Fleeing home for the distant country, it doesn't always just look like a life of sin and, you know, partying and all that, but he says, fleeing home for the distant country is a denial of the spiritual reality that I belong to God with every part of my being, that God holds me safe in an eternal embrace that I am indeed carved in the palms of God's hands and hidden in their shadows. See, this is not just the story of a prodigal son. This is a story about all of us. And one more thing, I'm I'm almost done, I promise. Hang with me. I knew it was gonna be hard to keep it under 30 minutes this week. I, I just knew. But one of the things that struck me this week was reading what I read about the title and how it might be inaccurate sometimes. See, that word prodigal is not in the scripture. It's not in the Bible. It's not in this story. It's the lost son, the parable of the lost son, but it's become known as the the parable of the prodigal son. Prodigal meaning spending lavishly in an extravagant way, and it can have other meanings as well. But I appreciated learning this week how Tim Keller, he's a a well-known pastor and thinker in the church, and he has a book called Prodigal God, and he talks about how that term is not so well fit for the son who wanders, but it's a better term for God who gives lavishly, who spends lavishly and extravagantly, and that that's a better term for the father. So is it prodigal son or prodigal God? Either way, either way, This is the love that we are all invited to receive. And friends, listen, it's the love and grace that you need right now. This morning, right where you are, you need this love and this grace from an extravagant and giving God. And whether you have been a Christian most of your life, whether you've been the lost son most of your life, We should all recognize how radical and gracious God's love is and how easy it is to wander from the fold, the center of God's love and compassion and way of living. This is the invitation today. Which son will you emulate in response?
Hey, Dad. It's me. I know it's been a long time since we talked. I was, I was kind of hoping you'd answer, but um, I understand that you probably don't want to talk to me. I've just gone so far, and the things I've done, I, I just regret it, you know. And I know how bad I've hurt you and let you down, but, but Dad, I, I miss you. I miss how we drive around and just talk about life. And I just, I just want to come home. But I know you've probably written me off. I can't blame you, actually. Here's, here's, here's the thing. <laughs> it's kind of a shot in the dark, but I'm, uh, I'm coming through town soon and to see you. I know I can't just show up at the front door like I used to, but but if you want to see me, just hang a small sheet out on the porch. If the sheet isn't there, when I drive by, I'll keep going and, and I'll try not to bother you anymore. I love you, Dad. a moment it's hard to sing right after made you cry <laughs> you can stand we're gonna sing this uh, I, I love what pastor nicole shared about the prodigal god and i just made me think of first john three and I, I love the niv translation because it says see what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of god and that is what we are I love that verse, and some translations will say that we should be called the sons of God, which is, I think about this verse every time we sing, be thou my vision, because I say, I thy true son, which is weird, because I'm a girl, but 
It's actually a privilege to be a son because uh, in this story, it's a son because in that day, if you were a woman, you didn't receive an inheritance. So it's a great love the Father has lavished on us that he calls us sons. He calls us heirs to his kingdom. But we were the outsiders that he brought in. We weren't sons, and he called us sons. So I love this, and as we sing this song, I just I want us to think about the everything that she just shared, just this beautiful word from the Lord, and just as we take a moment as we're singing, this song is in the first person. So just a reminder that, yeah, it is easy to see other people in the story, and it's easy to think about our loved ones and our friends, but it's also important for us to take a moment to recognize that it's you, it's me, it's all of us that what we're all, we've all been lost. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And he's inviting us this morning. The altars will be open. We're going to sing about the Father and, and coming to him. You can do that physically. You can do that symbolically in your heart. But just think about that in a personal way this morning, whatever way that God is speaking to you. But just as we recognize the beauty and the difficulty of the gospels, it levels the playing field. Because we're all broken. We're all sinners. None of us are good enough. It doesn't matter how hard we try. It doesn't matter how many things we accomplish. It's, it's, it's our righteousness, as Paul says, is filthy rags in comparison to who God is. And yet he's loved us and he's called us his sons and he's invited us to come to him. So I just want us to take a moment as we respond to this word to apply it just in this moment in a personal way. Amen. Let's sing this together. I don't have a contest 
that kind of love I don't understand I can't comprehend All I know is I need you So I run to the Father I fall into grace I'm done with the hiding No reason to wait My heart needs a surgeon My soul needs a friend so I'll run to the Father again and again and again and again. Oh, 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 again and again. Oh, oh, oh. My heart has been in your Long before my first breath, running into your arms is running to life from death. And I feel this rush deep in my chest. Your mercy is calling out just as I am. You I'll run to the Father again and again. I'll run to the Father. I fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding. No reason to wait. My heart found a surgeon. My soul found a friend. So I'll run to the Father again and again and again and again. Oh. chorus again. I run to the Father, I fall into grace, I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait. My heart found a surgeon, my soul found a friend, so I'll run to the Father again and again, again and again. of prayer, if you need to sit, if you need to remain standing, 
God, we thank you for your love that always meets us in each and every moment. Lord, I find that the longer I'm on this faith journey, sometimes I am just overwhelmed by how hard it is. And sometimes I find that I might not be living like the lost son in the traditional sense that is spoken about in the parable. And yet there are times when I can't deny that my heart feels like it's wandered. I'm questioning and I'm doubting and I'm struggling and sometimes I don't even understand why. And then I feel guilty I feel like I shouldn't struggle with this. It shouldn't be this hard. I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. Everyone's looking at me to have the answers and to have it all figured out and to have it all together. And under that pressure, I crumble. I crumble and then I feel guilty and I feel shame. God, I am so thankful for your grace and your love and your mercy that meets me there. When I return back to your truth, when I remind myself of your truth and your love that you have for me. And I pray that that would be the cry of all of our hearts this morning, both lost and found. That we would see that there are times where we're going to recognize that we are not close to the Father, that we have wandered. But God, we will never fail to find your love when we come back home. And I thank you, God, that you show up and you do it again and again and again, and for me, again and again and again. And I know that no matter how much I need to come back and receive that again and again, that you will always be there. And I thank you for your love. I thank you for your love for us this morning. Help us to rest in that love this morning. God, we love you so much, and we thank you. We thank you again for your love. And all God's people said together, amen, amen. You may be seated. God is good, amen. He is good and I'm thankful for his love and I'm thankful for a community of love bearers, of love carriers. 
who can carry that love of God and Christ to me when I need it. And I hope that the same is, I hope that you all feel that as well. Amen. Well, because there's no easy way to shift from that to announcements, we're just going to shift anyways. Uh, we do have several announcements for you. There's a lot going on right now, so um, just be mindful of, of all that's going on. We will continue to collect the alabaster offering through the month of September. You'll notice that box out there. Next week, we'll have a video for you that'll just kind of highlight um, you know, what that's for, where that money goes, and, and it's just a helpful reminder, or for some of you, it'll just help you to know um, what that's all about. We'll talk more about that next week, but that'll be out there all month long. Uh, next week, September 18th, um, is a bittersweet day because our own Pam Dorney, that'll be her last Sunday with us. Um, she is moving a couple hours away to Mattoon, and we celebrate this phase of life for her. She's retired, and she's moving to her own place, and she's going to be closer to her family and her loved ones, but that means she's going to be a little further away from us, but we know that we'll see you often, um, at least semi-often, and we look forward to that. But next week, uh, we wanted to take the opportunity to do what we did a few weeks ago with the Frank Hauser family. And uh, during the Sunday school hour, meaning there will be no Sunday school next week for kids or adults, and instead you're invited to come at 9.30 for donuts and coffee as we just spend some time with Pam, loving on her and fellowshipping with her uh, before she moves in a few weeks. So go ahead and mark that for next week. Just keep that in mind. Uh, we will be continuing to collect water bottles that are exactly like this for Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes. Uh, you can get these at the Dollar Tree. If you have any questions, let me know. I talked a little bit more about that last week. Um, a little update um, on the Afghan family that we have been uh, partnering with a lot of other people to raise funds for so that their family can be um, resettled in Canada. Um, I think we are, as of what I heard earlier this week, we were around 75,000, right, Stu? Is that right? Yeah. Um, which is great. That's great news. You all, by the way, it was like 14,300 or something along those lines that BFCN has collected for this family. I just want to take a moment to let you know that. So great job. Thank you so much for your faithfulness. But we are going to continue to encourage those of you who haven't had the chance to give, um, you still have that opportunity because they haven't raised that exact amount of 110000 yet. And there's actually some other things that have come up since then that have added a little bit to that expense, to that cost. And so that goal is a little bit higher. So uh, we're just going to leave that open until we hear that they have received that and collected that. But here's what you need to know. Like, that's just the nitty-gritty of the finances. What you need to know, and if you have any questions, you can ask me, ask Stu. He knows quite a bit about what's going on. God has been moving in amazing ways in this family and in this process. Um, and so it's just incredible. God is, is doing great things. He's blessing the faithfulness of his people. Um, but I do want to let you know that's where we're at with that, okay? Uh, if you have any questions, let us know. There's a lot there. There's a lot of details there. Uh, men's breakfast is going to be next Saturday, the 17th at 8.30 a.m., um, I feel like that's wrong. Is it 8 a.m.? Does anybody know? It's 8, right? Okay. 
It says 8 on that picture, but I have 8.30 right here. 8 a.m. in the fellowship hall next Saturday morning. All men are welcome to, to come and join that. And then finally, you may have noticed in your bulletins or in the foyer that we are planning an all-church uh, fall gathering at Eckert's and Millstadt on October 14th. Um, you can sign up in the foyer to let us know that you plan on coming. The details are all out there. You can sign up for um, a side dish to bring or a dessert Again, all the details are out there and in your bulletins, but go ahead and mark your calendars for that. We'll enjoy a, a great night around the fire together as a church family, maybe around a couple of fires probably, depending on how many come, but that's why we need to know if you plan on coming so we can have um, enough space for everyone, okay? There's plenty of room, so hope you all get to come. Okay, and with that, I'm going to invite you all to stand this morning as you receive this benediction. Brothers and sisters in Christ, May you go in the grace and mercy and peace of our Lord and Savior who loves you, who has given up his life for you. May you walk in that truth and in that love this week, and may you return to the Father again and again throughout this week. You are loved. You are dismissed. Have a great day.